Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. So today I'm here with Sarah and I am going to let her introduce herself, but let me just tell you why I picked Sarah. So I really find Sarah's background amazing. She had a career in healthcare. Life handed her a bit of a surprise and all of a sudden she had to make a leap and transition into something that she could be her own best boss ever. (laughs) And what I think is so cool is she, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you picked a topic of, and I'll, I'll let everybody kind of hear it from you, but you picked a topic that I think is so crucial to actually helping leaders become a best boss ever as your passion and the focus of your business. So it just seemed like Sarah had to be on the show. So Sarah, thank you so much and welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Christine. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Just tell everybody really quick the name of your business and uh, just kind of a, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my business is Greatness Magnified and I'm Canada's recognition expert because what we consistently found in any team consultation, even if it was from an abundant place, the easiest way to gain collaboration and build trust and momentum was through recognition. We tried all kinds of other things that would help too out of our deep toolkit and organizational development and the one thing that always worked. And to your point around best boss ever, why does it work for teams? Because that's what makes people want give their discretionary effort and make them want to do their best. And so not surprisingly, it's also what makes leaders great bosses. So that's what I get a chance to do. I get to work with great bosses, great organizations through the exponential power of recognition. That is amazing. And I know for me personally, recognition always always was a big amplifier for Mm -hmm. sure during my uh, corporate days. So start by telling us a little bit. When I asked you the question, who's your best boss ever, Tell me who came to mind and and why. Well, I'm lucky that I had to really sift through uh, a number of people. Aren't we lucky to have many, (laughs) many options? Yeah. The one that really stands out in my mind is uh, Louise Taylor Green, the current um, head of the Human Resource Professional Association of Ontario. And what made her my top choice was that when I had to share with her some pretty tricky news. So here she had lost her director of organizational development. So now she's got all of me and my colleagues, individual contributors reporting to her. She's a senior executive. She doesn't have time to meet one-on-one with this, but every week she made the time because she wanted to support us wholeheartedly to continue to do the great work we were doing. And also because the organization so needed us in this massive time of transformation. And in one of those meetings, I had to tell her, a local organization, another healthcare hospital has asked me to come and start up the organizational development department. And I kept saying no. And they kept asking me and I went for an interview and I've got the job and it just seems like such a great opportunity. And I expected her to be so angry with me. This was a terrible time to leave. And what she did was she pushed all of her papers aside, the list of things that we needed to talk about and the files that her and I had both brought to the table. And she said, okay, 
the next four meetings that you, if you give me four weeks, the next four conversations we're going to have is about you and your next phase of your career. And that's exactly, we, she just said, I'll trust that you're going to hand over the projects. We don't need to talk about it anymore. And that's what she did. She mentored me and having the best boss transition. I, that's what I'm calling it now. And so for example, she helped me discern how to create a value proposition process. So that when I started the organization, I initiated the, the first blush of people's experience of organizational development was one of collaboration and support versus them resisting it or me having to prove myself. She said, just, just believe that you're already there and your partners partnering with them and to serve them. So what would that look like? And we co-created much with her guidance, the most amazing new way to start, not to start a department, but to start any job. And I have to tell you, I have led and mentored so many people in that process, all down to Louise's supporting guidance. So she basically mentored you into a job with a different organization. When it completely blindsided her. I had been right. in that organization for one year. It was too soon to leave. It was a bad time to leave. She was probably so busy. She had small children at home still. And she just realized my job is to support this person across from wow. me. Wow. I find that amazing because one of the themes that's showing up as I'm sitting down and interviewing people about their best boss is this commitment to the person in front of them above and beyond their commitment to the business. I bet a lot of CEOs would be very, very scared to hear that. Oh, by the way, these bosses, the reasons they're the best bosses is because they're committed to the person over the business, like actually the business. But it's so fascinating because again, the impression that leaves on you. I mean, and the way that you would reflect on that experience, it, that'd be a game changer. Well, imagine how many people I now have the privilege as a professional speaker to tell about her. Mm-hmm. So a great example of that, uh, because I, I speak for a lot of human resources groups and there's chapters across Ontario. We've got 22,000 HR professionals in Ontario alone. Mm-hmm. And it's a obviously a designated profession. So to have that term, you need to get your CCEs. So as I'm going from chapter to chapter, especially when Louise was, it was announced that she was coming into this role, I said, you are going to love what she's going to do. I, mm-hmm. I know she's not in the role yet, but let me tell you. And I not only would tell the board that, I would stand in front of the people there, whether it was 30 people or 300 people in the room. Everybody, you wait until she starts. She is, and I would use my version of the story of the best boss ever. And then they got all got excited because mm-hmm. here's the head of, a, of the most important association of your career who has already demonstrated she is for the quote people. Um, mm-hmm. So now she doesn't have to just be for the one person like in that right. meeting. She just gets to be the person for 22,000 people in Ontario. Right. They got pretty pumped. <laughs> but, you know, and it's just... You know, another thing that I have noticed in this, you know, in some of the trends of some of these discussions is again, the followership or the way that these things come back later in your career. So that moment, I mean, I'm sure she wasn't thinking about what the return on investment was going to be. She gave you those four hours and she mentored you in that new role. But that again, has been an amplifier for her because 
if she's mm-hmm. done that for a number of people who have worked with her, what are they saying behind her back? Right. Like free, <laughs> you know, you've actually free branding, you know, you've done for her just because you couldn't help it. Like that's genuinely how you feel. So, it, you know, it took no effort to say, oh, let me tell you about what an amazing leader she is. So I think that is an incredible story. And I think, you know, it's just such a good example of the selflessness that shows mm-hmm. up in some of those best bosses that we And you about. can't fake that. You, she did, it didn't even take longer than half a second for her to push those papers aside. So right. that's, you know, to your point around it amplifies and it becomes this reciprocal process because she didn't think twice to support me. And, and again, that it was not, it wasn't from a self-serving place. It wasn't, right. okay, well, how do I make myself look good? Or now I can put this on my resume that I mentored X number of people. It was who it's who she is. And I think that's probably why she has taken this role in as the head of our association, because she probably could make a lot more money working for the very, um, in the very senior roles that she's been in for the majority of her career. So, you know, best bosses ever in my experience, I've been, as I say, I'm lucky to have many, they do things because it's the right thing to do. And by doing the right thing to do, people respect you. It's they, they talk about you. They want to do well by you. I'm sure because I've at times uh, been the best boss ever. I've also been the worst boss ever. <laughs> I know we can yep, have those, too. the whole, whole spectrum. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I know I model myself. I try to model them, including now when I have folks who work in my private business, you try to aspire to be like them. They are your muse of who you, but you, because you have actually a model, a frame of reference to, to, uh, you know, use. And mm-hmm. so they actually, your best bosses ever, they stay alive. We remember, right. as you know, from, you know, your, your neuroscience work, you know, it's the neurolinguistic processing, all of that great, juicy, yummy stuff that you mm-hmm. do. Well, Christine, <laughs> hardwire really strong emotions. And best bosses ever, just like the worst boss ever, they imprint themselves on our consciousness. We pull them up or the feelings that they had, they, that, that they created in us in micro moments, in longer term relationships, because it's such an emotionally laden experience. So anyone who's listening here, I would say, what kind of emotional imprint are you making with the people who report to you and frankly, that report with you. Cause you never know, they could be your boss. You could be their boss one day. <laughs> yeah. Things change quickly. I know that for sure. <laughs> and you're right. I think that's, that's actually one of the benefits that I'm really trying to drive with the work that I do with so many leaders is that, you know, when you've worked for a best boss ever, it's catchy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like you, you know, we can't help ourselves, but mirror what we see in those best bosses ever. And so I kind of feel like in my work, the bar is low. Often we're just trying to make sure leaders aren't disruptive and that they don't have a lot of turnover. And we're just trying to basically help them kind of meet the minimum bar of not being a worse boss. But uh, that's why I really came up with the name for the show, Best Boss Ever, is how do we set the bar back up here again? Because I think the impact of those best bosses ever is a giant multiplier. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't just about people feeling like they can come to work every day and they know what to get done. This is about people feeling like Mm -hmm. they would go the extra mile. They would walk on broken glass for that leader because that's Mm -hmm. how much you know, they feel passionately. So that's your point about, you know, imprinting emotion, right? Is that they feel like 
I would do whatever it takes, you know? So every takes and for my whole career that that person is, they're not, it's not a moment in time anymore. This person is part of your career legacy. And that's where recognition, it's such an easy thing to feel passionate about. And for me to have dedicated my speaking career and, and sometimes working with some of those best bosses ever to rebuild programs that authentically align to their leadership, their organization's desire to not just get through. And as you and I both know, that unfortunate statistic that only 30% of North Americans are truly satisfied at work. So there are, that's telling me (laughs) in the context of our conversation, how many people are aspiring to be the best boss ever. And perhaps more importantly, how many organizations are aspiring to enable people to be the best boss ever? Because it's not like bosses generally, unless there's some kind of, you know, really significant bigger issue at play. People want to do well. They want, they want to get up and go to work, whether it's, you know, virtual and it's with your elastic pants on or you're, you know, in your Armani suit at work, whatever that looks like. Bosses want to get up and do great work. They want to Mm -hmm. get their work done and feel a sense of accomplishment. They want to facilitate others to do meaningful work. They want to um, notice greatness. They just, unfortunately, a lot of great bosses work in not so great systems with too much work to do. And we owe it to great bosses to enable them to be that way. And when nothing else enables that to happen, what I tell those great bosses who want to do great work, but they're greatly overwhelmed, recognize, forever recognize others' greatness. Notice the small, seemingly invisible or, or microscopic examples of what's working well, things to acknowledge that will give you the hope and the fuel and the food for continuing in Mm -hmm. systems that are often not set up for people to lead and become the best boss ever. You're making me think of a really important, one of my experiences when I led a large team, Mm -hmm. I had one, one guy on my team who he had, he was brand new. He was as green as green could be, but he would get up in the morning and be at the plant at five in the morning and Mm -hmm. really was saying to the client, we're here, we're serious. Like we're, we're, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not just going to show up when it's convenient. We're going to show up when you're in business and you're doing the operation. Right. And so him being there at five in the morning and representing us was so important. So he had had these incredibly long days. And I remember he was off to LA to go visit some family on a Thursday. And I said, Hey, you know what, why don't you catch the early flight and go like, you've been working around the clock, get there early enough that you can go have like dinner with some sunshine. It's California. It was in the middle Mm -hmm. of the winter. And oh my goodness, did I take a giant lashing from my boss? And so when my boss showed up that day, he said, well, you know, where, where is this gentleman? And I said, I let him leave early. Cause he's been, you know, in at five and he's been doing great, you know, he's, he's new. So there's still a lot of things that he's trying to get up to speed on, but you know, he's really been bringing his best self, you know, um, yeah. on, on tough hours on hours that I can't even keep up with. <laughs> and, um, and oh my goodness, did I ever get beat up over that one. And it, it really sent a message to me, but when you made the comment about enabling people to be best boss ever material, I, it just dawned on me. I haven't thought about that element of it Mm. and how I think for me, that was one of the most frustrating parts of being a leader was Mm. that I felt like I was in an organization where they were more worried about me being too kind 
then they were almost worried that somehow I was going to be so soft that all the results were going to fly out the window. And meanwhile, my argument was exactly the opposite where I was like, why don't you just let me, let me do it my way. And let's prove, let's prove it. Because all I know is I was nominated for manager of the year by the people who worked for me. So like, let me prove it and let me show you whether or not it works. But people were so scared that the results were going to drop on my team because I was doing things as Mm -hmm. thank yous, right? Non-monetary things. Love it. That's what number one way people want it. Well, right. Because I didn't have, you know, a big, (laughs) um, they didn't (laughs) hand me a bag of money to give out as gifts. And so I was always trying to come up with clever ways. And a lot of the times it might be, you know, a special occasion or some way Mm -hmm. that somebody could spend that extra evening with their, with their family so that Mm -hmm. they could come back on Monday and feel like, Hey, my boss gave me a little extra here this week. I'm going to give a little extra this week. And like, you know, to create that trade. Anyway, I just think that is such an excellent point about enabling leaders to be a best boss ever uh, and how important that is to the equation of actually being one. (laughs) You know, what, what, thank you for sharing that story. And I'm so glad that you're the type of individual type of human that's willing to risk being raked over the coals by your boss to do the right thing. And I, I know I've even had that experience with peers in my last uh, senior leadership role. If we had an issue at senior team on Tuesday that we didn't know how to fix, because frankly, most of the time you don't. If it, right. if it was that easy to fix, it probably wouldn't make it to senior team right. and it wouldn't be something we have to revisit the next week. So every Friday I had the whole day blocked and I'd spend part or all of it shadowing somebody at the front line who knew more about the situation because they were living it every day. Right. So we had beds backed up in the ER, or we had an infection outbreak that on one unit, but not the parallel unit. Or we were having an increase in number of complaints of a particular area. I go and I would spend time in whatever they wore, tennis shoes and scrubs, or or you know my normal clothes if that's if that's what needed. And people would tell me stuff. People could not. People didn't initially feel like I was there to help and understand and serve. Uh, they initially were suspicious. So what does that say about? us as leaders. I mean, I don't just mean in that organization because I think that that would happen across many organizations, if not almost all is people would be suspicious. Why is the suspicious? Why is the boss showing up? But what I found is I could get over that suspicion pretty quickly and word gets around. Oh, she shows poking her nosy nose in on Fridays. It's just because she's learning something and she's curious and she wants to help. Here's the other thing though, Christine, I don't know if you've had this, my peers didn't like it. I mean, I could get over the, the not liking it initially from the staff because if banning only the holdouts were the people who'd be negative anyway, right? it was my peers who didn't want me to quote, make them look bad. And I'd say, right. well, go and shadow them. And, you know, and we're all busy. So I'm not trying to right. minimize they're doing the best they can. They're leading the way they felt they needed to lead. However, if you want to be the best boss ever, it often takes courage to be different and to say, I don't think we're leading in the best way. I don't think that this is helping. I don't know if our customers are happy with us. So you have to be sometimes willing to be the worst colleague ever, the worst, you know, 
report ever, the worst, I don't know, advocate ever, or the best advocate ever to be seen as the worst collaborator ever. Cause it's, they're not, it's not in nice, tight, you know, discrete parts. It's not like, right. oh, if I become the best boss ever, that equates to the best fill in the blank. Right. Um, no, it's, it's controversial. And that's why I actually love this topic because mm-hmm. it's, it isn't black and white. You know, just like you said, being a best boss can get you in trouble in different parts or, you know, like you said, when you're really hunting for truth, sometimes that can cause trouble in other camps. So sometimes it's really, how do you, you know, how are you able to navigate so many different variables at the same time? So anything come to mind when you think of your worst boss ever? Oh, yes, absolutely. Ironically, it's the person that I reported to and my husband reported to. We met in the restaurant industry and he was managing a restaurant by the worst human ever, not just boss. This person would rival, insert what you, who you think is the worst human ever. He's beside that person. She just happens to be less famous, you know? Oh, so no. you think you're worst human ever. She's she's up wherever they go after you leave this earth. That is where she's hanging out with them and having a really awful dinner. Right, right. Was just, <laughs> and so Mark and I talk about her still at the dinner table. And, and we use this as an education with our kids about you do not need to be treated badly or work in an unsafe environment. So here's the, here's the worst, worst boss ever. Um, so she initially hired, um, hires people based on their looks, first of all. So mm. discriminatory. So nice. I guess I'm, I got enough of a pass that I made it through the door, which but that's does, how you met your handsome husband, right? That's how I met my <laughs> handsome husband. Exactly. So, you know, it's, uh, I was just going to say not so bad after all. Not so bad. Okay. So maybe I should give a different example. No, that's right. but I mean, she would treat us. You never knew she was one of those folks. You never knew what you're going to get. Mm. Um, occasionally she would be sweet as sticky syrup and Mm. you were like, oh gosh, what happened? And you tippy toe around more often. She was just, if she came by, it was like a thunder cloud. And, and she was just, she was this tiny, like probably half my size. If, if the wind blew, she'd blow over just this (laughs) tiny, tiny lady, (laughs) but her, her volatile emotions and presence was enough to scare even the customers. And why? So nobody complained. So everybody, she could control everybody underneath her thumb. And Mm. she worked all the time. She was a very unhappy person. And we all knew that that's why she was the way she was. But she made people you know, climb up. If the gutters were blocked, she'd say, go climb up that ladder, that rickety ladder, and you could fall off. She, Mm -hmm. she, if the, the, a dessert in the fridge, the cooler was not working properly in the fridge and the food got mold on it. She'd say, scrape it off and serve it anyway. Oh no. Parsley always was dirty because she had to buy the cheapest parsley ever. And we had to quote, conserve water. So it didn't get washed properly. And I would have to, yes, I would have oh, no. to go and feed it to the people. Uh, she oh. didn't always get the wa- the linen properly cla- qua- washed. I was just gross. It was oh. gross. And she was so cruel. She oh, would wow. feel like the smallest person ever. And if a, a, a customer complained, because we worked in um, Niagara in the Lake, so yeah. you often wouldn't see these people back. And this was pre-Yelp days. She didn't care if she she dressed you down. If you complain, Christine, she'd say, you know what? You're the little tiny woman and I don't need to deal with this. I run this, this big successful restaurant. I don't care what you think. She'd actually insult you to your face in front of your wow. family. 
And people would have their jaws sitting on their, the sticky yeah. table. <laughs> After eating their dirty parsley. <laughs> their dirty parsley and their moldy, you know, oh. their moldy buns. Oh, oh. terrible. That is unbelievable and creates, I bet, a very rich conversation around dinner. Um, yes. I don't know if I'd lose my appetite talking about that too much, but... <laughs> Hopefully that they incredible. cooking more. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. You know, it could be much worse kids if you don't it like this. Much worse. There's nothing moldy here. Yes. <laughs> but you know, it's just interesting. So I have two questions about that. And the mm-hmm. first is, you know, people don't treat people like that unless there's, you know, we already know hurt people, hurt people, right. Yeah. Is the way yeah. it works. Any guesstimate as to where some of that toxicity really mm-hmm. at the end of the day came from? Well, I probably have greater insight because my husband did work, you know, as her right hand and he never put up with her nonsense, which is, I think the only reason why he was able to do that. So he knew he had a bigger window. Her husband was, unfortunately, he, he had an addiction to alcohol and he was, he was a player Mm. and would constantly cheat on her. And she put up with that. So, I mean, you know, to each to yeah. his or her own, if that's fine for you, that's that awful marriage at home. Right. Unfortunately, I, I think in her case though, she just felt she had to find another outlet. He made her feel terrible and, and he ignored her and he was often away. So she then, you know, when it was actually correlated, the more he would behave in a certain way, she would behave in a certain way. The other thing was she had three children and all of them hated her. So that also is an indication that there's something not great with relationships and the way you are with people. So it's it's a chicken or the egg. Is it that their behavior or their detesting of their mom creates her to be not nice to us? Or did something have to happen to create all three children? Right, right. Being you know, and they so, actually don't, they don't talk. They never, they didn't go to her funeral. They never were oh, by no. her bedside when she was, when she yeah. had a stroke. So that's I, awful. I, I think that there's, there was a very unhappy family dynamic by the yes. time I joined the organization. And, and that's, that's unfortunately sometimes the case. I don't know how yeah. often, but well, it, you know, again, it just speaks to, you know, some of the things when you start thinking about, what enables a best boss ever, you know, when we look at what's happening at home, it Mm -hmm. definitely pours through into how we lead. And lots of leaders will tell you when they are unhappy, how hard it is. I mean, this is definitely sounds like a much more amplified case, but it's just interesting because, you know, many of us, and I know myself included, you know, when things aren't great at home, Mm -hmm. that frustration still shows up everywhere else too. So I've had a great boss who's shared with me some lessons learned from stories and situations. So maybe, you know, the other, that part B to that, which I so appreciate your reflection is, um, who chooses to take those challenging experiences and using, use those as lessons to more junior folks to elevate them, to learn, like, this is what I went through. Maybe you can learn from that as opposed to it become, you now get to be victimized by my sense of injustice or unhappiness in the world. Right. Right. We don't all come out of this world unscarred or with life being a fairy tale. So how do you choose to use your, your, the, your message, your message? So do you make it extra messy or do you help other people to leverage or to work through challenging times? So, right. 
Excellent. Well, this has been absolutely lovely talking to you today. I am, I'm just smiling because I had a few aha moments myself. So I've written them down and I'll be thinking about them as, uh, as I reflect on our call, but you know what, it was really, it was great to hear your story about Louise. And again, I really appreciate the work you're doing around recognition and how you're helping leaders build that into their practice. Because again, I think we'll have more best boss ever <laughs> candidates if we can find more people who are willing to, mm-hmm. to build you know, strong recognition skills. So thank you, Sarah, Easy so way. much. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Take care. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.